Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bhandari from OrthoEvidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Well, good morning, Mo. Good morning. I am, uh, as you can see, not in my usual place or attire. I'm uh, here uh, outside the hospital OR about to start a couple of cases. So I don't have, I don't have my Ortho Joe mug. Uh, and uh, all I got is a cardboard cup, uh, oh, and, but I do have a very nice bouffant, as you can see. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm I'm already on the presumption that you've had your Ortho Joe Cafe this morning, just <laughs> as I have. I'm on campus at McMaster University, uh, and we have uh, some really uh, friendly visitors. The Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada are visiting our oh. department um, and uh, conducting a review. So you can see the, you know, my my joy in my day. But regardless, it's been a good experience. And uh, we're about to get even a better experience. We have a, a wonderful guest uh, today with us. And I, we've both known uh, Karen for some time. But Karen, Karen Agarwal-Harding, uh, sorry, Karen, um, is an orthopedic trauma surgeon and director of the Global Orthopedic Collaborative at Harvard. And I, I tell you, Karen, you know, we've had, I think we've probably known each other for almost sounds like probably over a decade or so at least. Uh, and I've been really, really uh, amazed at sort of your your career path. And I wonder if you might share your career path a little bit about how you organize your day and maybe your month with some of our listeners and viewers, because I think it's a particularly um, fascinating approach that others may be thinking about doing. Well, thank you, Dr. Bandari, and, and thank mm -hmm. you, Dr. Swintowski, for the opportunity to be on this. Um, and uh, yes, let me just stop you here. It's Mo and Mark. Mo and Mark. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, we've known each other since I was in my training. So I guess uh, old habits die hard. Sorry about that. But no, it's it's really a pleasure to be on this with you guys. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you for the opportunity to talk about this. So I, you know, I came into orthopedics already with a pretty um, deep passion for global health. In fact, it was global health that led me to orthopedics. Uh, when I was a medical student, I was working with George Dyer between my third and my fourth year uh, of medical school. And with him, we traveled to Haiti together, uh, where we organized one of the first, um, I think it was the first Haitian annual assembly for orthopedic trauma, which is now, I think we're over a decade doing that conference. It was very soon after the earthquake, about two years after the earthquake. And I just, I think was very struck by the fact that there were still patients on the wards in the hospitals that we visited with injuries from that earthquake that still had not been managed. So we were in uh, we were in Haiti for uh, this conference and also to visit many of our colleagues in the various hospitals around Haiti. And uh, I was really struck by the fact that two years after the earthquake, this is back in 2012, there were still patients on the wards who uh, had injuries from the earthquake that had still not been managed. And I think the the sheer volume of cases, the need for orthopedic trauma care really struck me. And that's actually why I decided to become an orthopedic surgeon. Anyway, fast forward 
many years later, you know, in my in my training uh, as a resident here at Harvard, I, I did take some time out to do a postdoctoral research fellowship where I started working in Malawi. The recommendation to go to Malawi was from uh, Dr. Rick Coughlin at UCSF. I expressed to him a real interest in trying to understand delivery of orthopedic trauma care for rural agrarian populations. In my mind, trying to address the needs of poor rural agrarian communities who are in need of trauma care. I mean, if you can't imagine like a more desperate population in need. And if you can address the needs of, of folks in, in those situations, I think you're really coming up with solutions that can be universally applicable. And so Rick Coughlin, from that recommendation, from that interest, recommended that I go to Malawi, uh, which I'm really happy he did because I really fell in love with the country. And I started working there as a postdoc research fellow for two years. And after that, I came back, finished my residency, and then was able to get this job after my fellowship. I'm an orthopedic trauma surgeon now. I actually did a a hand and upper extremity fellowship at Columbia University with Mel Rosenwasser and the team there, fantastic team there. But Dr. Ken Rodriguez, my chief here at the BI, invited me back to join the trauma team. So I, I do mainly upper extremity trauma, but I'll, I'll nail femurs and tibias and do ankles as well, as call demands. And the flexibility of having a trauma job allows me to continue really exploring my passion for global health. So when I was a resident, I started the Harvard Global Orthopedics Collaborative, which was really just a a group of us who shared this kind of interest. And of course, George Dyer was there and uh, John Kwan from um, uh, MGH would come by, you know, a few of these other guys who have an interest in, in helping in underserved communities. We would all just sit around a, a box of pizza, you know, and, and just talk about uh, different projects that we had going on and share ideas um, for conferences that we we're trying to put together, education projects, and research projects. And then slowly it's now grown. We have a um, like two dozen students from around the country who join our calls. And uh, we, we have an open door policy. Our meetings are open to anybody who wants to wants to listen to, to what we're up to and, and join uh, any of our efforts. And our collaboration now at, at HGOC has grown to, um, you know, obviously Malawi, we have wonderful roots there and my collaborators there are very dear to my heart. Um, but we, we've started also now to work in Ethiopia, in Kenya and Gambia. And I spent six months of the year doing that work. On the, on the ground locally. So I just got back from four months where I was mainly based in Malawi, but I also visited the three, the three other countries I just mentioned. And having this trauma job allows me that flexibility of being able to be here, take call, take care of patients who you know, come through the emergency department. And then when I'm gone, my fantastic partners are able to sort of manage uh, without me while I'm gone. But I, I try to be here in Boston for the busier months, summertime and you know, during the winter when people are slipping on the ice. But that flexibility has been really wonderful. You know, I'm, I'm about eight months into this job now, so I can't say that we've worked out all of the kinks, but it's really been a, a dream come true for me to accept this job. Well, Karen, that, that's a wonderful, I think, marriage, if you will, between hand and upper extremity in, uh, in trauma surgery, because after all, the femur is just a big metacarpal. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just a bigger implant is all. But so if you were advising somebody who was interested in the same career path, but wasn't, wasn't it at the Harvard program, do you have any general advice uh, on how one might get this started in an academic institution? And if I could just add one more caveat to Mark's point, is it feasible? Do you think do you get the same richness of experience if you were to spend maybe weeks rather than months away. So I guess trying to get a sense for me, what's, you know, what's feasible for you may not be feasible for others. Great add on. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So 
I guess I'll start with Mo's question and then move to Mark's because I think they are related. So for me, what I'm trying to establish here at Harvard is a network of partners and programs that allow somebody who perhaps does not have the inclination or the ability to dedicate a significant amount of time as I have to global health to be able to plug in and really make a tangible difference in the in the projects and partnerships we have in place. So a, a good example, John Kwan, he's the chief uh, or, or co-chief of foot and ankle surgery at Mass General. A few years ago, I approached him and asked him to get involved in a project on ankle fracture in Malawi. And this project came about because I was operating with my colleague, Leonard Banza, orthopedic traumatologist in Malawi. And we had this guy five weeks out from an ankle fracture dislocation, trimal ankle fracture dislocation. And it was not reduced, not splinted, not referred, showed up late. We had to do a fusion. Dr. Banza at that point had not really done any ankle fusions before. And so we figured it out using large frag screws that we had available. You know, we, we uh, actually, the guy ended up doing quite well, but obviously not an ideal situation for that patient. And this sparked a whole bunch of ideas. How can we, how can we improve ankle fracture care? So I, recruited John Kwan, and he was really gracious to get involved. We did a whole series of education uh, research projects that identified that there were knowledge deficits among the orthopedic clinical officers. These are non-physician clinicians who manage the vast majority of ankle fracture in Malawi, primarily in the rural settings. Difficulty in diagnosing, difficulty in understanding referral patterns, things like that. So we then designed an educational curriculum and standardized referral protocol. And then John came with me George Dyer also came with me, just he's not a foot and ankle surgeon, but he joined along as well. And we put together this educational curriculum and course and launched the standardized protocol. And John Kwan was in Malawi for four days, but contributed significantly to a program that had been in place long before he arrived and is still continuing after he's gone. Like actually one of the the, the chief of orthopedics at uh, Queen Elizabeth Central Hospital, her name's uh, Noha Niamulani. She's going to do her PhD on ankle fracture. And I like to think that it was inspired by the work that we that we began. In fact, I'm one of her advisors for her PhD committee as a result of all this work. So, you know, the, the, the long-term sustainable kind of development stuff, I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, I'm early in my career. I wouldn't say that I can speak as an expert on it, but that's what we try to do is try to create a, I'm trying to create a system where someone can say, look, I've got two weeks. I mean, I can go and do like a, a mission trip or something like that. But if I can plug myself into a program that has a more long-term presence and partnership and has projects that are that are sustainably building capacity, I think that the benefit is just so much greater. So that's what I would say to answer Mo's question. Mark, your question to set something like this up. I mean, I think that what I can say for myself is that if the passion is there to do global orthopedics work, you will find a way no matter all the barriers that are thrown in your way. I mean, for me, I, I remember since I was in medical school, people have been telling me that this is a silly idea. This is impossible. Surgeons can never do this kind of work. You'll never find the time to, to spend doing overseas work. But, you know, when I was taking two years out in my residency to do this postdoc fellowship, which honestly launched my career in global orthopedics in many ways and launched the HGOC collaboration in Malawi and other countries, um, I was told by some of my colleagues, this is a waste of your time and it's a waste of money. You could make so much money if you spent those two years in practice. Why waste it in your training, right? And I was also paying for my MPH at the time too. So, you know, I was losing money on two sides, but it was absolutely worth it for me. And that's because the passion came first for me. You know, I couldn't imagine a life where this wasn't a big piece of what I do. 
Um, and, and so I think just being very sort of stubborn and hard-headed about it and pushing forward is what's gotten me here at least. But of course, it would not be possible without all the people who've supported me. So George, George Dyer has been an advocate for me, supporting me since I was a medical student. Um, Ken Rodriguez helped create this job for me and the opportunity and has really brought this, this little project, us uh, sitting around a pizza, a pizza box in two, 2016 into like a real formal part of our department and our residency program. And so, you know, without, without their support, this wouldn't be possible. But, you know, to start, I would say, you know, medical students, residents who are just starting to introduce themselves to the idea of global health, first start with research. Research is a fantastic way that just forces you to read and to understand how to ask good questions. So I would say research is a wonderful way before you even have any clinical skills to just start building relationships and partnerships. And to be honest, a lot of our colleagues working in low and middle income countries, the work of working in these settings is, is extremely overwhelming. The needs are, are huge. The capacity is limited by definition. Um, and so our, our surgery, our surgeon colleagues are overworked. And to add on, uh, like doing research, it's an impossible task, an impossible ask of them. So we, I think, you know, as, as trainees can add that value, manpower, you know, bringing in that sort of capacity to help them in that front. Uh, of course, that dictates that we recognize the achievements and the, and the contributions of our colleagues in LMIC. So, of course, I mean, we, we recognize that through authorship, through ownership of data, you know, um, podium presentations, things like that. I mean, it's their data, it's their work. But I think as collaborators, we can add a lot by giving sort of like that, that skill set of research. And then beyond that, education is helpful. You know, a lot of my, my med students and residents working at HGOC will start with a research project and then slowly transition to working on education programs where they are also learning alongside course participants, you know, organizing these courses, recording these lectures. So start with that, build up your, your knowledge, and your, your sort of um, uh, network. Uh, and then once you start producing something of value, I think you have to identify a department that values it, you know. You have to, there, there are a few places in, in the United States and certainly in Canada that I think really do value this kind of work. And you have to find the right people who will be champions for your cause and, and open up the right doors for you. That's a great response, uh, Karen. I've just got one more and then I'll, I'll let you ask the last one. But I, I know that you've developed an interest in solving uh, implant problems uh, by uh, finding ways to manufacture more straightforward, cost-effective uh, implants. Can you tell our audience just a few words about what you're doing there? Yeah, sure. We started a little nonprofit called Sona Global, S-O-N-A, Sona Global. It's, um, it allows us the flexibility, having HGOC as the academic arm and having Sona as the nonprofit arm to do things that I think just being in the academic setting wouldn't allow us to do. So Sona is the mechanism through which we can um, develop patents, we can, you know, um, uh, ship these things, test these things, you know, but, but we have two devices. Um, and this is really born out of the needs of our colleagues working in Haiti, as Mark, you, you know, Pierre-Marie Woolley and Christina Dejean. So Christina Dejean showed me the turtleback, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. it's an aquarium pump that had been turned into a wound vac, a cheap wound vac. Uh, we were fascinated by this when I went to this conference in 2018. I think you were there actually in 2018 yes. with me. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we saw Christina show us this wound bag and we were fascinated by it. And then I was asked by colleagues in Cameroon to make, uh, to, to, to supply wound bags. They were desperate for them. They have 
uh, there's like a, a sectarian conflict going on in Cameroon, um, and they have a lot of patients who are the victims of, of trauma. Um, and so we actually made a whole bunch of turtlebacks and we sent them to Cameroon. And the feedback we got from the Cameroonians was like, you know, it was, it was okay. They said it was all right. It worked okay, but there were some issues with it. So they gave us some feedback and we actually designed a new device that worked, I think, a little bit better. And we sent this new device actually to Haiti during the most recent earthquake in 2021. Worked really well there. And then, of course, the Ukrainian war happened. And so we sent many, many of these devices on the request of our colleagues in a variety of hospitals on the eastern uh, front uh, of Ukraine and have received a lot of positive feedback from this. So we call our device Atara, stands for Vacuum Assistive Therapy Affordable for All. Um, and now we're working on like a, a new version of it that's even better specifically for the African context. And we're partnering with folks in Gambia and Ethiopia and Malawi for that. A very simple device. It costs just about well, now I think the, the new device will cost about $70 compared to $100, which is what the uh, current device, our current prototype costs. But uh, compare that to you know, ten dollars to $40,000, which is what the KCI pump costs. Um, the other devices are low-cost external fixator. We call it AFIX, A-E-F-I-X, affordable external fixation. Um, it, it's a very simple design actually invented by uh, Donkward Hunch, who some may recognize that name because he's been involved with AO for decades. Um, if you go to the AO website and look at the technique guide for external fixation published on the AO Foundation, you'll see his name. He's the author of all of them. Um, so, you know, he's worked with Synthes and AO for a long time. And he had this wonderful idea to create a very simple external fixator clamp that can be cheaply manufactured, even made locally with anybody who has a metal milling machine. Um, and so we, we refined it a little bit. We got it manufacturing ready. Uh, we've um, patented it. Um, and uh, started started manufacturing it on a large scale. We're testing it in the laboratory. It works really well. It actually grips the pins and the rods better than the Synthes clamp, which is kind of a bit of a surprise. Now we're in the process of working on the technique guide, getting the regulatory approvals, and then hopefully doing clinical trials with these uh, new devices. You know, after the earthquake in Haiti, the war in Ukraine, you know, the situation in Cameroon, I think it became, and of course the war in Ethiopia, I think it became very obvious that External fixation and negative pressure wound therapy are essential tools of any trauma surgeon. Temporizing and stabilizing soft tissues and bone, and then either shipping the patient uh, or you know dealing with that patient there once you have the resources to. It's absolutely necessary for for these settings, and so that's what we're trying to address now. Yeah, and we're 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 getting there. We're we're young and we're scrappy, and we're trying to trying to build up this nonprofit to meet the needs of uh, folks specifically in low income settings and human and humanitarian crises. Well, I mean, I have a more of a comment, uh, really, uh, for you, Karen. Like, you know, one of the privileges I think that, and I'll speak for Mark and uh, myself, and I think everyone on on who's listening in, is our. Um, it's inspiring, right? It's inspiring to meet individuals uh, and have the privilege to interact with individuals like yourself. Because, like, in this whole uh, discussion we've been having, I've just been sitting there thinking, you know, it's always impossible, and you articulate it until someone actually does it, right? And and you have kind of shown that when you have that inner metaphorical light, um, doors will open for you. And this reminds me, actually, and I'll end on this. But there's a book that uh, was handed to me, and I've talked to Mark and others on the on the on the call here, and maybe you've read it, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. And you know, and it's you just strike me as someone on a journey to um, you know to follow your personal legend, you know that thing that you know is what you're meant to do, despite all odds. And the interesting statement that I'll always remember from that particular book, and I think you embody it, is when you decide to take the risk 
to follow your personal uh, legend, the universe will conspire to help you. And it seems that you have this fellowship of mentorship and colleagues um, that are really just working with you to do this. And, I, and again, all I can say is, you know, we appreciate everything you're doing. And, you know, if there's anything we can do and our community can do, I'm hopeful that even the the members that that listen to this, uh, you know, Ortho Joe podcast may be inspired to also connect with you or also to follow their own personal legend. So thank you so much for sharing uh, some of your insights with the current and really just keep going, which is really, really exciting. If thank I could you so just, much, Rob. If I could just tag on, uh, Kieran, uh, my colleague Dave Fisher and I have been saying for, I don't know, 25, 30 years that a meaningful life is not possible without meaningful work. And you you are having a meaningful life. And uh, congratulations on what you've accomplished so far. And uh, you're an inspiration for all of us uh, globally. Uh, and we will look forward to following your efforts as we go forward. So thanks for being with us. I'm sure you'll enjoy your absolutely priceless Ortho Joe mug. Uh, I love it. Thank you so much. Well, you've got it already. Yeah, good. I received it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. No, th thank you, Mo and Mark, for the kind words. It was such a pleasure to join you today. And thank you for that mug. I'll treasure it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a great day. Off to the OR for me. Take care, everyone. Cheers. Take care. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.